dust when it was dry, mud when it was rainy, swearing, steaming, sweating, scheming, bribing, bellowing, cheating. The carny went its way. It came like a pillar of fire by night, bringing excitement and new things into the drowsy towns, lights and noise, and the chance to win an Indian blanket, to ride on the Ferris wheel, to see the wild man who fondles those reptiles as a mother would fondle her babes. Then it vanished in the night, leaving the trodden grass of the field and the debris of popcorn boxes and rusting tin ice cream spoons to show where it had been. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Lit to Lens podcast, the safe place for folks who liked the movie better than the book. We are recording this on Monday, February 21st, 2022, which also happens to be President's Day. So shout out to almost all of our previous presidents, not all of them. Uh, Today we are discussing Nightmare Alley. This is episode 53. With me to talk about the adaptation is the grifter, con man, and geek himself, Mr. Eric. Say hello to the people eat. Hello, everyone. Will, I would just like to say one thing. Uh, throw me a chicken. Just throw me a chicken, all right? Are you going to slice its neck or are you going to bite its head off? I think I would probably just... I mean, the you know, at first you're just using a razor blade, right? And then the real geeks just go in there teeth first. Yeah. It depends on how desperate you are for the for the bottle. For the bottle, yeah. Um, I aspire to a, like a full teeth kind of but you start out Next slow. Bite. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. You want to uh, uh, get more accustomed to the taste of chicken blood before you just like go whole hawk into that. Neck. I feel like that's one of those things you had kind of have to dive right into. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's never going to be worse than the first time you do it. Yeah. It's so, an acquired taste. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You got to dive right in. Anyway, chicken blood. Uh, yeah. It's out can't there. live with it. Can't live without it. <laughs> Um, hopefully you all have either read the book or watched the movie. Otherwise, that conversation means absolutely nothing to you. So we're going to keep moving here. So we have some fast facts about the book, obviously called Nightmare Alley. It was written by Win- Ooh, William, my own name. Yeah. can't pronounce it. Excuse me. <laughs> William Lindsay Gresham, uh, originally published in 1946. Uh, the movie originally premiered at the Alice Tully Hall in New York City on December 1st, 2021. Uh, released at theaters a few weeks later on December 17th, 2021, and then was released again in black and white titled Nightmare Alley, Vision and Darkness and Light in January 14th, 2022, and then released a streaming on Hulu and HBO Max uh, February 1st, 2022. Can so, you tell this movie didn't do well at the box <laughs> office? They are just whoring themselves out to anywhere they can get uh, some likes and some views, but yeah, yeah quite an interesting uh, release schedule there. But so the film was written uh, by Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro and Kim Morgan. 
directed by Guillermo del Toro, who has also directed The Shape of Water a few years ago, as well as Hellboy and some others. The film has a crazy cast, including uh, Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Tony Collette, Willem Dafoe, Richard Jenkins, Rooney Mara, Ron Perlman, and David Strathairn. Ron Tomatoes, 79%, and Metacritic, 70 So, pretty good, not great. David Strathairn of uh, Nomadland fame, a former Lands joint here. You know, I kind of wanted to talk about him. We Maybe we can save it for later, but he's kind of branching out from his previous uh, typecast, yeah. I feel like. Uh, Jason Bourne. Jason Bourne, like the businessman. Yeah. Holy cow, that's Jason Bourne. <laughs> Recap. Give it to us. Yeah. Uh, complicated book. Complicated story. Nightmare Alley tells the story of Carney Stanton Carlisle, who performs sleight of hand tricks for a traveling carnival. While he works there, he learns more about the Carney slash geek life and picks up a code act to feign psychic powers as well as cold reading uh he leaves the carney to practice his own code act code act with a young woman named molly who is also in the carnival but grows tired of um him and and it he transforms himself into the reverend carlisle um, and performs seance sessions for unsuspecting grievers the con weighs heavy on stanton who seeks the help of the psychiatrist lilith ritter they form a relationship. He wants to run away together. She suggests one last con uh, on an exceedingly wealthy auto tycoon, which of course does not go to plan. Themes of performance, addiction, greed, and uh, chicken blood feature prominently. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Thank you for that recap, Eric. Um, so we're going to play a quick game here, Two Truths, One Lie. Eric has lost, I think, the last few, but I'm thinking he's going to win this one. I kind of, I think it might be a layup, but I'm not sure. You already wrote Eric Lawson here. I'm going to put, <laughs> I'm going to change that to Eric question mark. It's just assumed at this point. Well, unbelievable. <laughs> okay, number one, William Lindsay Gresham, the author of the novel. His wife, Joy Davidman, eventually left him for the famous author, much more famous author, C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia. Um, number two, this is the third adaptation of the novel. And then number three, the film's director, Guillermo del Toro, was partly inspired to make this film from his own dealings with psychics. Eric, how you feeling? What do you got? Wow. Well, so first off, I know that this is at least the second adaptation of the novel. I think there was a movie that came out pretty soon after the book, mm-hmm. maybe like 1947, 1948. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if there was a third one in there, so that's a that's a question mark the the first one here that his um the author's wife left him for c.s lewis was kind of it's like i don't know why it's funny to me but i feel like the lion the witch and the wardrobe the, those books are very like religious and i was like c.s lewis couldn't marry a divorced woman mm. could he maybe maybe because he's not divorced i don't know i don't know what his like whole religious situation is mm-hmm. but um so I was thinking about that one. Okay. And then I could totally see the third one. Uh, Notorious GDT wanted to make this film based on his own dealings with psychics. So I'm going to say that one is a true, the third. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, is this a, the third adaptation or is C.S. Lewis's religious um, freedom stances enough to keep him from marrying a woman who already had a husband? 
I'm going to say that the just for the sake of fun, maybe this is my problem is that I'm trying to have too much fun instead of being correct. I'm going to say that uh, the author's wife did not leave him for C.S. Lewis. You should have stuck to your gut because you are incorrect. You are getting too cute with it, I think. So what's the lie? The lie is number two. Okay. This is the second adaptation. You know? You it's always the easy one. It's always the ones that are like, le- the le- less detail there is in it, it's usually the lie. <laughs> <laughs> don't give yourself away. I don't want to know. Yeah, so uh, it is true that Joy Davidman, who was a poet as well as an author, I believe, um, they were having marital troubles and she struck up a correspondence with C.S. Lewis and eventually moved to England to marry him. She actually was a Jewish... Um, I'm blanking on the term. What's the term for somebody who does not believe in God? Atheist? Yeah. So she was, she was described in Wikipedia as a Jewish atheist, which I'm not really sure what that means. Have um, you seen um, Licorice Pizza? Yes. That the Lance character who goes to dinner with um, Elena, when he they like tell him to give a oh, toast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an atheist. And she's like, you're Jewish. And he's like, well, I was born Jewish, but yeah, yeah, yeah. my path has taken me to atheism. <laughs> there you go. That's the answer to there that There you question. go. Okay, there we go. 2021 Sh- movies. Shout out Licorice Pizza. <laughs> Thank you for that. And then, um, yeah, so she so she converted from Judaism to Catholicism okay, in order to sort of be with C.S. Lewis. Um, so otherwise, he probably wouldn't have said yes, right? Is this like the inspiration for the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe? Is no, it- but it's an inspiration for... Um, Prince Caspian? Is he Prince Caspian? No, it's like a, it's like a play based on their life. Oh, I can't okay. remember the name of it at the top of my head, but I can certainly find it eventually. Um, and like I said before, this is the second adaptation. And then the third one, the film's director, Guillermo del Toro was partly inspired to make this film from his own dealings with psychics, which is true because I don't know if you know this. Uh, I, I did, certainly did not before doing research on this episode was that his father, Guillermo del Toro's father was actually kidnapped in Mexico, uh, in 97, I believe it was 1997 and, um, had to pay the ransom to get him back. And during this period, wow all these fake psychics were approaching him to sort of like say, would you like to speak to him? Would Mm. you like us to sort of, you know, communicate with him on your behalf sort of thing through our psychic powers. Yeah. Um, And he said he had to sort of deal with that, uh, which I guess was, you know, at the time in Mexico maybe was highly prevalent. I don't know. Um, But he said that was a big thing he had to deal with during that whole time period, which was obviously not helpful when your father is, kidnapped right like but also fun fact um uh oh my god i'm blanking on the director's name uh who directed titanic james cameron James Cameron. he gave him one million dollars to pay the ransom oh wow yeah so i guess they were buddies huh so fun fact on that i like that i, I like that well i don't like that i should say i'm against <laughs> kidnapping i, I think eric is pro kidnapping fathers i think it's interesting why. that uh he probably had like was in these rooms where they were like like oh yeah you're can you feel that on your yeah. shoulder that's yeah. your that's your dad's hand he's with you yeah <laughs> he says that he loves you yeah very much yeah yeah apparently he was doing that to like his mother so i guess the wife of got it so they were they're prowling they were a lot like bradley cooper in this movie they were searching for a buck searching for a buck you know or so. for uh, 25 cents whatever it is <laughs> probably more during uh, yeah 97. the 90s inflation you know <laughs> um but cool well you lost again so thank you for uh, playing, but you're welcome. Next, better luck next time. Yeah, we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back. 
This episode of the Little Ends Podcast is brought to you by the Fairfax County Fair. Wonder at feats of strength performed by the world's strongest man. Ogle at the incredible Molly as she survives electrical surges more powerful than a bolt of lightning and cringe at a half-man, half-beast creation so disturbing you'll never want to cook chicken for your weeknight dinners again. Come for the attractions, stay for the 10-cent bathhouses, drams of wood alcohol, and ammonia-filled jars preserving stillborn babes. That and more can be found at the Fairfax County Fair in town for two weeks only, starting this Friday. And we are back. Thank you from that brief word from our sponsor. We appreciate the support. Yeah, Fairfax County Fair. Yeah. Go uh, go at it. Have fun. Go check out the carnival. Yeah. It's coming. Um, so, before we get into the movie, we have to talk about the Burke, Burke book, excuse me, right? Because it's the first rendition of the story. It is the inspiration for the film. Um, and so we both read it. I think we both read it on our Kindle. Shout out Jeff Bezos. That's right. Um, so you, you, I believe rented it from the Fairfax County, County library. Yes. I bought it. So, well, you know what I'm saying? You, you bought it on Amazon. Yeah, of course. I borrowed it from a library. Just using Amazon as a third party. Oh, I see. So I, in this situation, I'm better than you. <laughs> God damn it. I did buy Macbeth on, on Amazon. So, so, okay. So you're just as bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Eric, I have a question for you, and it is, why adapt something like this into cinematic form? Yeah, so you, obviously in the game we just played, you mentioned uh, Notorious GDT's history with psychics and how this might be just like, in general, something that he, as a director and as a writer, is interested in. Um, Before knowing that, I sort of tackled this question uh, by like, distilling the story down to what it is at its most elemental level, which is basically just nightmare alley is a story about a man becoming a beast. And if there's any director today, writer today, who's interested in that sort of thing, it's the guy that gave us pan's labyrinth, the shape of water, Hellboy, Pacific rim, even like this dude does creature features. Mm -hmm. And I think if you think about nightmare alley as a sort of man becomes creature feature, then it makes a lot of sense that this particular person would champion this particular story and want to adapt it. Um, and for me, that's, I think that's the best part of the novel is watching this character change from a simple huckster to, you know, a big time huckster uh, and then back down again. And you could totally see, I think while reading this, that it's a really big, uh, like heliocentric part everything revolves around this main character growing and losing it, losing it all. Um, and you could totally see a movie star playing that and people playing off of him. So f- for that reason, I think this movie makes a lot of sense. Like you could get a big star and if you're Guillermo del Toro and interested in this sort of thing, it's perfect for you. Uh, and then, you know, the setting like carnival depression era, America, you know, there's just this great wide angled, dusty emptiness, set against you know the opulent architecture and awesome clothing of like a you know chicago or new york or whatever city that it is that we see later on like you know it's there's emptiness and poorness these are not the right words but and then there is like big opulent money so it it is sort of like you get to show people who have nothing and people who have everything and it's two cool things to point your camera at yeah yeah i mean 
you were right about having like a perfect director for this movie um where the the person whoever becomes the monster um and it there was that dichotomy of having the poor uh low socioeconomic standards of living in a carnival or being like a a carny essentially right and having the opulence of being a psychiatrist or a auto tycoon in probably New York or Chicago, like you said. And I thought, I think they did that so well. Like you really got a sense of like the feeling of that, um, of being in that world, whether they're, you know, even if there are two totally separate places, uh, in the book. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a story about like what money can buy you mm-hmm. and, it can buy you a lot of things and yeah. they all look good on camera. So I think that makes, it makes it filmable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know, like they're not too many carnival movies. I feel like, or, you know, like there was the prestige and water for elephants. Yeah. Like that, like maybe in the greatest showman, the two, the two thousands, the like two knots or whatever they say. Circus movie, the aughts, the 2010s. Yeah. Um, but yeah, not recently you feel, it feels like, but, Maybe because it's expensive, yeah, to put together the whole like big big tented show, and it's probably a, yeah big set design, um, but certainly a world that's interesting, right? With these, especially with these characters, yeah. I mean, all the characters that are in a carnival, especially at this time, which is like Depression era pre pre World War Two, but like kind of at the dawn of World War Two, you know, you get the like world's strongest man or whatever like the lady with the beard like all these sorts of like archetypes that um of these like outsider people who have nowhere else to go in society but get like pulled into this Mm -hmm. racket because it's the one place where they can just sort of be who they are and make money at it even though they are you know they're making money for reasons of like oh you're weird looking i want to pay to see that Mm -hmm. or whatever Mm -hmm. um but yeah there's certainly like a whole a whole sky full of interesting characters to pull out of a carnival yeah constellation of cool yeah definitely and i wonder if it's difficult to make this movie without guillermo del toro right like if this script was bopped around and guillermo del toro like passed on it like do you really think this movie gets made no if there's no bradley cooper i think this movie yeah i would even i would wonder if guillermo del toro could make this movie without bradley cooper he probably could because he made shape of water without anybody yeah really in it i will say that uh i didn't mention this earlier but leonardo dicaprio was attached to it uh, apparently they were in negotiations and then eventually it fell off and fell to bradley cooper i like that which is yeah cool. i'm in on that yeah similar vibes him and bradley cooper yeah they are like charming but under the surface like not good yeah 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 i think they play that kind of well mm-hmm. they do play that really well um that's why i want to see that leo movie where he um oh shoot what's that book the uh where he's like the serial oh, killer at the world's fair the white city yeah devil in the white city devil in the white city he I might be a little old for that now but yeah i never read that book um i heard it's very good though i think i feel like that's been attached to him for a long time are they even still doing that probably not probably not yeah he's busy yeah well he's got another little instrument coming up this year that's true shout out killers of the flower moon yeah and then um so talking about the book again reverting back what were some of the parts that you were most excited to see adapted so we definitely i mean i, I think the 
that like constellation of carnival people was definitely something I wanted to bring up because that is a place that's just so full of life. And we just talked about that. So that was, that was one of the things I was interested in seeing is just this carnival life and ecosystem. Um, and I don't really feel like we got that fully. Uh, maybe we could talk about that later if you want, but I just kind of felt like the carnival was a little dull is not the right word, but like focused elsewhere rather than on like the people that populate it. It was, it was like a little sadder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that was one thing. Uh, the other thing, so we saw a Penn and Teller show in Vegas, like f- four or five, six years ago now. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I like about those guys is that Penn will explain like the trick they did to the audience, like right after they do it. And this book kind of does that in it. Like there are tricks that these carnies um, do like sleight of hand or even like low grade mentalism or lower tier stuff, like pretending to be electrocuted for money. And uh, the author like goes to some detail explaining how those things work. And it's not always like, easily comprehensible to me i kind of like hated those parts of the Mm -hmm. book but i thought it could be interesting or or cool to sort of like see those things diagrammed out visually because the author is interested in that stuff and i was interested in that stuff and one of the things about like mentalism in you know depression era america versus mentalism today is that i think most people would not believe these things are real mm-hmm. versus then when maybe there is an audience that's a little more gullible to mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you adopt this now, how much work do you have to do to get the audience to understand, like, you know, the audience knows like us watching this movie today, like we know everything is fake. Right. Is there a way you can help us like appreciate the tricks, the gags a little bit more? Yeah, no, that I totally agree with that um, aspect of the adaptation that I wanted to see because it's difficult to visualize, at least for me, those scenes in the book where he's talking about the or he's doing the trick, and these people are like, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" But like you don't really get their point of view; you get the trickster's point of view, right? Right. Whereas in a movie, you sort of have to reverse that. You have to put yourselves in the point of view of the. Uh, the watcher essentially the person who's witnessing the trick otherwise it, it does it sort of falls flat right if you're just in the point of view of the trickster immediately you're just seeing how gullible these people are and it's not really the same experience whereas if you see the trick and you're like oh that was impressive it's like magic it's more um it's more beneficial i think to the audience to the the, the viewer of the movie so i was wondering whether they were gonna how they were gonna deal with that um as well as I wanted to see Bradley Cooper as the anti-hero as like the, as a sadistic, not sadistic, but like uh, certainly not sympathetic person. Almost sadistic. Almost. Yeah. I mean, he's a, not a good dude as the kids say. Yeah. And, and I mean the first shot of him, you know, dragging the body, I mean, okay. So we're talking about the book, excuse me. I won't get into the movie just yet, but basically you have this, uh, this person who, it's hard to sort of relate to and it's hard to sort of sympathize with um, throughout the book. There are moments where you can sympathize with them, but for the most part, I, w- I would say, uh, I would imagine you agree that it's not somebody that you are rooting for. 
No, right? This is a guy that's driven by money and to get money, he's not afraid to like lie to people mm-hmm. and tell them tales that aren't true and are kind of like the and the movie I think does this a little bit better than the book does, but have like real world consequences on the person receiving the information. Right. Like the moment you tell somebody that their daughter is speaking to them from the afterlife, mm-hmm. you've changed that person and you've put them on a different course. Yeah. Uh for more information or f- for worse things. Yeah. Um and he sort of uh excuses it by saying he's giving them hope. Right? He's like giving them this sort of false hope. Um, it does weigh on him like i think at parts in the book too uh that's when we'll get into like some of the other characters here but that's that's how he eventually meets the psychiatrist character right is that like his seance work is is actually weighing on him because Mm -hmm. he knows what kind of impact he's making yeah um but you know he's still he's still doing it and he still doesn't mind getting paid for it and um there's another character who has a stronger reaction to the work and um we'll talk about her later Mm -hmm. too but uh yeah i would say definitely all around non-mensch right he's kind of a he's kind of a you know billy eilish bad guy yeah sure (laughs) i was just excited to see him revert back to his wedding crashers uh villain role maybe it's not a villain but it's like i feel like bradley cooper a lot of his roles nowadays are like he's the hero right He's a sympathetic hero, even if he's a, a an alcoholic and uh, a star is born, right? He's still like sympathetic. Everybody feels bad for him. But now it's like, no. You know, it's the appeal of the like extremely charming person who does all this bad stuff, but can still navigate the world yeah. because they're charming and because they look like Bradley Cooper. Like yeah. this is made uh, this is a point made in the movie where it's like goddamn you're going to be so much trouble for so many people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're so goddamn Zena. cute. <laughs> uh and it's like yeah, for sure. And then it goes back to the Devil in the White City thing where it's like that guy in real life was just this extremely handsome person that everyone trusted mm-hmm. but would like kill people in uh like storage rooms and put their yeah. bodies in freezers. But no one suspected him cuz he's like he's this blue-eyed, blonde-haired like <laughs> Ryan Gosling looking guy yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's just like these kinds of people people can get away with stuff like that. Yeah. And because they can, it builds and builds and builds until it pops. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you a question about the pros in this book. And I think we were talking off mic earlier about how you were having more, uh, like you weren't as invested in the story as say perhaps the power of the dog, which we most recently did. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I struggled. I struggled. I think you made the point that like where power of the dog was, we called it purple. This was a lot more sparse. And I've, I just found the whole thing like, and you watch the movie, you'll probably agree with this. It's, it's just really dark. Mm-hmm. It's a dark, like sad, pessimistic story where people are lucky to have a hot meal. They're drinking cause they're unhappy. They're, they're all knowingly on a rocket ship course, like towards death. And it just is like, so fucking like sad yeah. and pathetic and uh dark and just like ugh. like <laughs> it's, it's just like it's heavy exactly it's heavy and i just for me i don't think i was exactly in the right like space to read this and so mm. there were parts where i would just like wormhole 
three pages ahead and be like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> um, there's moments where the author, I think, purposefully sort of refuses to ground you in like the scene. Like you don't exactly know who the character is that we're following. And it always ends up being Stanton, mm-hmm. but he changes how he's like seen and viewed and uh, like pronounced kind of thing. So it's it's a book that you do need to be paying attention to, and it's also really heavy and is can be a bummer. Um, and if you're not ready for it, like I wasn't ready for it, I just I I had a hard time. Yeah, it's fair. I, I um. I had less of a hard time, I think, than you did reading it, because um, this, you know, I, I, because I am not a fan of the purple prose. Like, I am much more of a fan of like this sort of prose where it's like detailing what's actually happening and stuff, um, as opposed to how the wind feels on their eyebrow how at dare three you. p.m. <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> but um, no, I liked it. I mean, it was an interesting story. I'd never read a book about this sort of world before uh that was sort of the main appeal for me so i was interested in that but i do think that the author sort of jumped around a bit like there were points where you like are he would jump from like uh times times so like he's describing molly and her character and her character in this carnival and then he immediately jumps to her past and about her father and and then if he immediately sort of jumps back to the present without sort of a real transition and that happened a lot throughout the book where even molly and stan when they get together it it just happens to be in the future like they're already successful and there's no transition there's no in between which is fine but it's like for me it's like okay where are we as we're reading this and then eventually you sort of figure it out but it's also like i feel like i need to reread this part because i did not really grasp where we were and he does that a lot which i don't love but that's sort of a personal thing. Um, I f- was going to ask you a follow-up question. I totally forgot. Um, it's definitely not, it's definitely not a bad book. Like it's an enjoyable read. It is just, I mean like any, when you're reading, obviously you should be paying attention, but sometimes you just, you know, whatever it's a, you know, the wind is hitting your eyebrows in a certain <laughs> way on a Wednesday and it, you just don't <laughs> read it right. Uh, I do. If you remember what you're going to say, otherwise I have, I wrote down no, some ahead. like things, some lines um in the book oh, that yes. I that That's I liked. what I was going to ask you cuz there are great lines in this book. Yeah. that the movie plays on. Um so <laughs> there's Molly like hangs out with her dad. Yeah. And her dad's telling her about love and she and he relates to her. Dad said you should never let anybody make love to you if you don't use his toothbrush too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, a great rule to live by. <laughs> yeah. And then there's stuff later that gets a little bit more depressing like, you know, the earth doesn't age as fast as the things man makes. The earth forgets slowly. Um, in a patch of silver, the Reverend Carlyle stopped and raised his face to the full moon, where it hung desolately, agonizingly bright, a dead thing watching the dying earth. And uh, how do you get a guy to geek? Throw him a chicken. That's a great story. Like, that's a great little, like, tidbit. And I wonder how true it is. Because when William Lindsay Gresham was informed by a lot of this um, material that he wrote, um, from a friend of his, uh, I think it was during the Spanish Civil War, actually, which he was a part of. Um, and he would the the guy that he was speaking with was a formal former carny, uh, and was just like telling him stories about the carnival life and blah blah blah. So I wonder like how much of this stuff is real is real. You know what I mean? Because um, that is fucking crazy. Yeah, 
So uh, did we set this up? Whereas it's basically just like they geeks are the people that eat live chickens. Yeah. Like at the show. And basically they find like drunks, tell them, ah, oh, we don't need you, but we have this temp temp job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you can do it till we get a real geek. And then they start doing it. You start like allowing them to drink. And then one day you're just like, no, I'm done. No more drinking. You're done here. You're not a real geek. Yeah. You're not actually eating the chicken. Yeah. Like we're going, I'm going to find someone else. Right. And then the person is so like in such need of alcohol alcohol that yeah. they, and money that they that they do it yeah that they bite the chicken yeah and they geek they geek a geek is born <laughs> not a star you know what's funny oh, you know like... what that could be a title of this movie a geek is born oh my god <laughs> someone call someone put gdt on the phone guillermo we have a new title for you yeah you know that would probably sell it probably would sell jesus they're like oh my god is this a follow-up to a star is born yeah number two the fifth adaptation of a star is born yeah oh my god wow we've had enough do we need to does someone need to like call bradley cooper and make sure he's okay you know what i was gonna say is these are some sad movies (laughs) no actually he wasn't okay there was an interview with him recently uh where he was reinvigorated for acting through his role in licorice pizza and i think a lot of it had to do with this movie because he filmed it before or like maybe during the same time um so i don't think he was okay (laughs) to your to your point yeah but i wanted to mention that they actually thought about getting lady gaga for this role, Ooh. for this movie, I mean, I, I assume to not play Molly or maybe Molly or or uh, uh, the psychiatrist character. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, but it's like, come on, like we know we don't need to spark the rumors for Brad and Gaga again, right? Yeah, this is not a like a a, a tabloid podcast, but didn't he got divorced right because of? Uh, I don't know if it was because of, but it was around the same time. He was so like, it sort of sparked those rumors. He was basically like making love to Lady Gaga on stage of the Oscars, and he yeah, was like yeah, divorced yeah. like the next day. And she was there. His his wife, or maybe ex wife at the time, was in the crowd watching. Yeah. Anyway, that's page seven. Uh, <laughs> a lens, a little lens, uh, a magazine. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then um, I think we kind of covered this, but did you like reading it? it? Yeah, I mean, it was. Would you give it on Goodreads a three? I give it a three. Yeah, but that's just such a like, like a, a lukewarm, a BS rating. I need half stars. I know, right? Yeah, I mean, Letterbox so. isn't right. Uh, I think this is probably like a two and a half for me. I, I really liked. Oh, was it? Oh, you. I really liked up. the hook. You yeah. voted up on it. Yeah, I really liked the the character arc, and of course, that's like a big part of this story. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, the nitty gritty of the book, I thought it was. Uh, I mean, I thought it was okay. Yeah. Yeah. You thought it was less than okay, and then you made it okay. Yeah. Well, two and a half would be like middle, right? If you're, if that's you're, true if you're redoing like the the bell curve two and a half but you is, can't give it a zero can you so it's not really the middle yeah i, I don't think it's i would ever give anything a zero it's it's basically one through one two three four five so three is is the middle that's true so a little bit below division. average yeah we're doing scales yeah if it's good enough to be published you know it's by a, by an actual yeah publishing house it's yeah. probably not half star that's fair um I enjoyed it. I didn't love it, but I enjoyed it. Did you give it a three also? I think I gave it a four, actually. Oh. I would have given it a 3.5. So this, yeah. this is the, we get into the same thing. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. So uh, before we get into the movie, Eric, are you going to learn us something? I am. And uh, it's something I know a lot about, Will, and that's tarot <laughs> cards. I knew it. Uh, so uh, in the book, actually, the chapters are organized into different 
the different the 22 different trump cards that exist in a tarot deck tarot deck has 78 cards there are 56 of those divided equally into four suits wands cups swords and pentacles and there are an additional 22 figured trump cards uh, these are called the major arcana and the other 56 are called the minor arcana uh, but these major arcana have their own imagery and symbolism although tarot tarot oh my god <laughs> <laughs> they're not carrots, they're tarot. Uh, now that they're popularly associated with divination, fortune telling, um, they actually weren't invented as that. They were um, just a tool people used to unearth the italicized truths of creation. It wasn't until the late 1700s that thinkers suggested that ancient Egyptians actually used tarot cards for fortune telling. And that started this whole like spin forward mm. the next 400 years. Um so you might be asking yourself, well, how do I use a tarot deck? Yes. Um, well, thank you for asking that. You're welcome. First, you actually must have a clear and open-ended question. You are trying to illuminate for yourself mm. a path forward. So for instance, how can I understand death? Okay. That's, okay. That's a maybe a, a big question, an example of a question. So you shuffle the cards and you deal cards in front of you face down. Okay. A common deal is three, but you can deal as few or as many as you like. Dealing more than one card is known as a spread. Okay. One by one, you flip these cards up, and the number of cards in front of you will actually determine how you are to interpret them. Mm -hmm. So let's say you have three cards. You would interpret them as such. Card one represents what you can do to surrender to the change in your life. Card two offers direction on caring for yourself during this process. And card three serves as a guide for centering yourself in the midst of this change. And I believe, like each card compounds upon itself and you're flipping over the trump cards which have images and symbolism that kind of tell you how to interpret them mm -hmm. and so a well-practiced person would flip over you know the hanged man and knows what that means in relation to the two previous cards that came before it i see kind of thing um it's a uh something i know not not a lot about but uh people do use it to help them understand their future and how they're to approach uh, difficult life's difficult challenges. Interesting. Um, yeah, I know this is still kind of a thing. Like, obviously it's like sort of like, you know, not really even considered pseudoscience. It's more of like a fortune teller kind of thing. Right. Um, where you go to the, the neighborhood psychic and get your fortune told. Right. I think it's there's a place a, that does this in Adams Morgan. I think it's Solaire, actually. Yeah. Um, I think it is Solaire. I would love to like just go in there one day, or maybe not. <laughs> You're gonna learn some bad things about you. But I was as you were going through this, I was thinking like this would make a great, like if there was a funny version of this, it would make it for a great drinking game. Cards Against Humanity. Sort of like a, yeah, like a, yeah, just like making fun of people and like, you will die by consuming wood alcohol. Uh, <laughs> wood alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I was gonna say like protein powder, but like that would be yeah, it'd be a horrible way to die. Yeah, um, interesting. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank and you for doing the research on this. By the way. Yeah, I'm this sure actually was this was a there's a lot of information on tarot cards. Yeah, I bet there is. What uh, was your source? Is it Wikipedia uh, or was it a uh, tarot? I used Wikipedia to find additional sources. There is an actually maybe not surprising a big article explainer on Goop.com. What is Goop? Run by. Uh, our Lord and Savior Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh no, this is her thing. Yeah, <laughs> oh, but I, I took I took this from like a couple 
just look like personal blogs. But she's got like an article on her Goop site that like details how to do them. Yeah, but oh, she has like writers and stuff, so it's not all. Okay, she doesn't right. do all the articles yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. It's like an actual a website with a bunch of different people. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, but I think she probably has like her her own corner where she does her like recommendations and tells you why she lives a certain way. We should we should read them. Yeah. And see what she says and maybe live by them. Maybe. <laughs> she had that she had that show on Netflix uh where she she like tested things. Did you see this? No. This? What? Yeah, uh the Goop Goop Laboratories maybe? Oh my. What? So she would what do like are we going down? wealthy things that uh you know, Gwyneth Paltrow has access to and then would like <laughs> review them kind of stuff, I think. I think we should move on anyway. from this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to check it out, check it out. I'm not going to, but feel free. Um, and with that said, we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. How do you ever get a guy to geek? Oh, I ain't going to crap you up. It ain't easy. You got to pick up a broken drunk, a real alky, a two bottle a day full seat. Pick him up from where? Nightmare alleys, train tracks, flap houses, you name it. A lot of folks came back from the war addicted to the poppy, the booze. Now, opium really sinks its claws, but you reel them in with booze. You tell them, I got a little job for you. It's a temporary job. Make sure you emphasize that. Just temporary until we get ourselves another gig. You spike it with that opium tincture. One drop per bottle. That's all. But oh, oh, now, this is what he thinks is happening. So, you say to him like this, you say to him, well, I gotta get me a real geek. He says, ain't I doing okay? You say, like crap, you're doing okay. You can't draw a real crowd faking a geek, you're through. And you walk off. That night, you drag out the lecture, you laid on thick. All the while you're talking, he's thinking about sobering up, getting the crawling shakes, the screaming, the terrors. You give him time to think that over while you're talking. Then you throw in the chicken. You geek. And welcome back. Thank you for that brief word from our sponsor. Um, so getting into the movie, as we've discussed the adaptation, um, or the source of the adaptation, excuse me, we're going to talk about uh, the Guillermo del Toro version of the story. So Eric, for the movie, would you describe this uh, adaptation as a literal, loose, or reimagined? I'm going to say this is literal. Uh, how do you feel about that? I agree. Yeah, I I think the the two stories are playing the same notes and the way the ending occurs is a little bit different, but mm-hmm. you know, you have to really stress a yeah. little different. So uh, more or less this these two stories are the same. Yeah. But there agree. are a couple of uh, differences that we should probably hit because they do have some uh relevance for us in this conversation. And that's what we do. That's what we do. So Take it away. Number one, Stanton's father. Yes. So uh, I think as we've mentioned earlier, uh, both Stanton and Molly get these flashback scenes where they 
uh, where it's shown uh, them like interacting with their father specifically and maybe Stanton has some like stepmother time in there mm-hmm. um, but <laughs> if you've seen this movie you know how this movie starts yeah. and it is with Stanton Carlisle spoiler alert uh, dragging a body into a hole in like flooring mm-hmm. setting that hole on fire walking out of this big giant house on a hill as it is ablaze yeah we i immediately knew that that was his dad um i think the audience you know not being as smart as me learns later on that that is his father mm-hmm. who um stanton basically like die like kills by consumption like he opens the window to this house and the cold kills his father who is kind of already on his deathbed but yeah he's a very sickly old man yeah um and then he burns him to death but not before stealing his watch yes um which has significance later yeah on. so in the book there is more backstory with him and his dad his dad has a pretty uh like renowned position among the townspeople i can't remember exactly what he does for work but he i don't know if he's a judge or a lawyer or maybe even a doctor um he's he's well off and he is like well respected and um even despite that stan has like this weird uh relationship with him that all kind of like stems from a john wick situation where the father like kills a dog or allows their family dog to die and Stanton's never really gotten over it. Mm -hmm. This is a part of the book where I like really struggled to comprehend what was happening. So you'll have to excuse us for (laughs) the misremembering. Um, But I think it ends in somewhat the same way. I think he kills his dad Mm -hmm. or like his dad and is it like dies in his presence. It's sort of insinuated that it was his fault that he died. Yes. Um, Um, without being specifically clear about it which is sort of what this book does a lot of the time yeah and it is author excuse me it's like a jump back in time although it's not played as like a jump back in time so Mm -hmm. you're at first you're like how how did he get here right 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 Uh, um where are we (laughs) yeah but i think in both stories it is this sort of like first sin that um stan commits and Mm -hmm. it underscores this idea of like I think the words are like matricide and patricide that occur Mm -hmm. throughout the film. Like, you know, son killing fatherly figures, son killing motherly figure. Yeah. There's that whole, um, we didn't even like plan to talk about this, but that like Enoch, the little like stillborn baby. Yeah. Oh man. In a jar. Yeah. Who I think has like biblical, there's like a biblical tie to that, but basically like killed his mother as he was being born. Yeah. So creepy as fuck in the movie. Yeah. Super creepy. Um, and then also, you know, we just mentioned that Stan steals the watch in the movie. I don't, I can't remember if he does that in the book. I don't think so. Uh, don't remember. Yeah. Don't remember. Sorry. But in the movie, it's, it's important because it's sort of this like first bit of artifice, artificiality that Stan puts on him to basically like, be above his raising where he's like a different person when he puts on better clothes and has better things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's important later because it's also the last thing that he gives up in his yes. transformation to beast. Yes. Yep. He hawks it for a, a bottle of booze. Yeah. He's given up his last sort of, I wouldn't even call it like clinging onto his last part of humanity. Cause it's sort of a weird part, but it's like his last, uh, maybe it's the last part of his ego or something like that, that he, 
because he was so resentful towards his father, especially in the movie. I would say more so in the movie than the in the book, that it was sort of like a point of pride, like I've overcome my father kind of thing. Um, it's the last thing he holds dearly onto. Yeah, that's another thing when they talk about like uh, mentalism, where it's always like, oh, everyone has daddy issues like all these men right they always they always have daddy issues that's yeah, yeah. how you can get them in your mentalism because you you already know that yeah yeah. they're men they have daddy issues they're <laughs> women they probably have mommy issues right, right, right. or they also have daddy issues yeah um so that's definitely a, a big theme i would mm-hmm. i say like in the movie the way that information is kind of parsed out is like at the beginning there's a big crash you know there's a cr- big crashing scene of like, oh, him dragging this body yeah. him lighting this house on fire. And you're like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. And then across the next two hours, there's these sort of like quick intercut scenes where he like imagines himself in that room as it's burning. He like imagines himself on his father's deathbed. They show the scene where he's like taking off his father's blanket, opening the window, yeah. letting him die. Right. Um, it's sort of like breadcrumbed out to you in a sort of like mystery way in, in the book in the movie in the movie yeah um the oh the relationship with his father yeah 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 yeah. and i wanted to mention because of that scene thrust in the beginning you get the sense of sort of this anti-hero villain character right away whereas in the book that is not until much later like you're sort of introduced to him as like this shy reserved uh guy who's kind of hanging around the carnival does some things but not a lot is interested in women, but like not really doing much. Yeah. And then you sort of figure out later on, like he's got these violent, not really maybe violent, but like sadistic tendencies. Whereas in the movie, boom, it's like literally the first scene. Yeah. Which sort of, does it, does that change your idea of the character? I think it, I think it kind of does because just because like, I know it's played for mystery, but I mean, who drags like a lumpy, you know, uh, blanket across a room. Yeah throws it in a hole and sets it on fire yeah like you're with clearly... good like good intentions you know <laughs> right, right 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 like you're clearly getting rid of some sort of evidence here yeah and even like you some know, malpractice the killing is is you know he, he died in because it was cold outside it's you know hard to prove that but... yeah like pneumonia probably or hypothermia right I don't yeah know if i'm using those terms correctly but yeah i i think it does change it because it is it's centered like you see him do this thing mm-hmm. you see him burn it and fire plays a theme here too right he, he's always smoking yeah, yeah. and you see like the cigarette smoke but, which is cool remember of course yeah, uh, that's, that's why we're that's why we're smoking cigarettes during this episode but um <laughs> yeah i think fire burning things up like creating something new yeah. plays a role here i it's it's like one of those things where it does make him so we talked about this with power of the dog right or like when in that book, Benedict Cumberbatch's character, Phil, Mer- Phil Burbank, kills mm-hmm. somebody. And it kind of changes your perception of him as a person. Yeah. But these two stories have different rules where, like, death in this story are, is, like, a little bit cheaper. Like, you you expect people to die more than you would in that story. Mm-hmm. So, I think, like, this guy can sort of get away with a murder and you not feel, like, totally off of him. Right, right, right. Um, but certainly, I think it's really hard to <laughs> come back from that just yeah especially since it's like a you know killing your own father yeah i don't know i just i it feels way different to me than in the book because whereas you find out later on as you're reading that stanton has like is sort of at fault for these deaths right with pete for example and then we find out with his father 
later on um, that he's at fault for these things. Whereas in the movie, it just sort of throws it in your face. Like this guy is not a good person, that he is not to be trusted. Whereas in the book, it's not like that. It's sort of a slower burn, excuse the pun. But like, I don't know, it changes the character a lot, I feel like. If you're already coming off the bat, like, I don't like this guy. Or like, I am not going to root for this person. Like, you don't get the whole context, but you know, based on what's happening, he's burying a body and letting it on fire. Like, probably didn't do something too great. So, I don't know. That was one, like, key difference for me that it's just based on the feeling of the character. Yeah, you don't, the medium. you don't get to know Stan Carlisle before they dump this information on you. Right. So, like, you don't get to see the the lovable, like, clear-eyed, never-drinking, yeah. like, smart person that he is before it's introduced that he killed his dad. Right, right, right. Or however you want to describe what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I think it, it... I mean, it kind of makes it, like, cheaper in a way, right? Like, a little bit, yeah. Um, it's not, it's not... It's easier for us to be, like that equals bad yeah versus like oh but this guy like i already i already know him he he would do something like that but like (laughs) i I feel like a certain way about him yeah so i think you're right and it's just like it's maybe not as it doesn't help the character it doesn't help build the character it kind of just like it starts him on an already low level yeah yeah and so he has further to fall kind of thing yeah that's yeah i would agree okay um Speaking of fathers, <laughs> should we talk about Molly's father? Uh, who? Or lack thereof. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. So as mentioned, she also gets um, some flashback scenes with her father and they have a, a lot. It feels like a lot. Um, and we even mentioned it, you know, where he's like, don't ever sleep with somebody who won't let you use their toothbrush. Yeah. yeah. Very smart man. Like Very given, smart, given yeah. wisdom. Um, that we Not the greatest father, I would say. No, I'm thinking he has like, he has sex with a, a random woman while she's like sleeping if not in the bed, then like on the chair next to the bed. And yeah. she's sort of like unsuspecting. Mm-hmm. Um, he just sort of dishes out life advice to her before he eventually dies and goes away. And it's, it's kind of just like in the movie, this doesn't exist, right? She doesn't right. have, she probably has a father, but like she doesn't have this father character who imparts life advice and then dies while she's young, leaving her like a gaping hole in yeah. her life i think that character exists in that in the movie realm right in the movie universe but it's only briefly mentioned or referred to yeah and i'm sort of okay with this change because this is like ugh, i was trying to explain this to my wife but there was a new yorker article a couple of weeks ago where the writer was basically just like everything is trauma now where it's like oh my god this character guess what happened in their past trauma <laughs> Look at this character. Guess what happened in their past? Trauma. And it's like all these plots where, as we were just talking about with Bradley Cooper, mm-hmm. um, San Carlisle, you know, you learn about, you learn a little about them. Like, okay, they're nice. Oh, well, there's maybe something off about them. And then it's revealed that in the past, something happened to them that has made them the way they are. Yeah, yeah. No one is ever just like how they are. There's a, They're always how they are because of this flashback scene. Right, right, right. And so to me, Molly's stuff is kind of like that because it's, I mean, in the book, she is like a zero character. In the book? Yeah. To me, she's just sort of this like young, dumb, impressionable golden retriever who follows Stanton because she's a golden retriever and she has no other personality other than like, she just really wants to get married to this like really handsome man. She wants to be saved, right? Right. Um, 
and in the movie she's kind of like that too but in the book like you can sort of i don't know i feel like i'm talking in circles well so i i kind of disagree that that she's a lesser character in the book or she's a zero i think she she's i I agree that she's got a zero personality right in both the the book and the movie but she gets so much more play in the book with her father basically gives gives us the impression that she's a daddy's girl um she clearly has like this sort of warped view of the world um and how she's always talking about her daddy, her daddy this, her daddy that, my daddy told me, blah, blah, blah. Whereas you don't really get any of that um, in the movie at all. I mean, you don't really, I mean, you really get a sense of in the book that she is informed. Every decision that she makes has been informed by her father, like experiences with her father. Whereas you don't really get that sense in the movie, at least for me, it's sort of like she's on her own. She's shy. She's quiet but she's just kind of off in her own little trailer doing her own stuff. Like nobody really knows what's going on. And you have this Ron Perlman guy who plays Bruno, who in the book, he's like obsessed with um, Molly in like a romantic way. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the movie, he's like this, f- like a protector character. Yeah. He's like, the backstory is that he knew her father before he died and he made a promise to always like look after her, blah, blah, blah. So it's more like this paternal character. Um, which which works i think that change is fine um but you don't really get the sense that molly is like this um sort of damaged girl who like could never get over the death of her father that's sort of what i read when i was got from her when i was reading the book it was like she'd always she'd had this like shining light and when it was ripped away from her she had could never really get over it and so she's sort of looking for that again and she found it she found it quote unquote in stan carlisle I think that's fair. Uh, Bruno at one point in the movie says, "Like, uh, I've got five pounds of knuckle and skin right yeah. here. It's gonna be <laughs> great coming, line. coming for your face." Great line. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Like, you know, they they, it's the same personality in both, but without the backstory. Mm-hmm. My question is just like, this character is not important enough to get a backstory like that. That's fair. Um, that's fair. So, like, let's make her important, or let's. Let's remove it. Yeah, you're right. She wasn't. She is a tertiary. Not maybe not a tertiary. Like she's probably a secondary character. Yeah. Like rating wise, I guess. But yeah, she's not like super important to the to the narrative. Yeah. Um, which is a shame because, I I think ultimately like, you know, look at the poster. It's Bradley Cooper and these three women. Right, right, right. It's sort of like Bradley Cooper, leveling up over time. Like his character and his like. W- the women he is going after and what they'll help him accomplish. Mm, Where he's like the beginning Bradley Cooper goes for Xena. Who's this, I guess she's, she's like the mentalist for the carny. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then when he realizes he's better than the carny, he goes for Molly who he, he thinks is better than the carny. Yeah. Yeah. And then when he's out of the carny doing his popular mentalism show, he's like, actually I'm better than this. And here's the psychiatrist for me. He's just got ambition, baby. You know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's got a wandering eye. Yeah, it does. Um, but so in that sense, like all of these women, I mean, this is like, as we mentioned, like this is a movie star role. All these yeah. secondary, all these characters are secondary to him. Mm-hmm. Um, they just kind of are the through ways for him to get a little bit more, to move yeah, up a little, little bit, bit higher. More. Yeah. yeah. Except yeah. for the last character who sort of was one better than him. Let's talk about it. We want to talk about it. Yeah. Kate Blanchett's character, the the psychiatrist, Lilith right, Dr. Ritter. Yeah, is it Lilith or Lilith? 
I think it's Lilith. Okay, Lilith, Ritter. Um, so in the movie, she is introduced to Bradley Cooper's character, uh, Sam Carlisle, because she's attending one of his like uh, shows, yeah. essentially. And so he, basically, Sam Carlisle has risen to the point where he is basically doing this for like New York or whatever, urban elites, mm-hmm. right? Very high class, highbrow individuals um, at these like dinner par- extravagant dinner parties and stuff. And basically she calls him out saying like, I think you're doing like a, you're doing a coded thing with your partner, your assistant, who's his wife, Molly. Um, And she's basically put in her place, right? She is right in what she's saying, but he's so good at what he does. He sort of puts her down. Like you have, you have these daddy issues, blah, 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 whatever. Um, And she sort of like is quiet. Um, And we find out later on that she has these, these uh, very important clients at first because she's a psychiatrist. And basically they sort of team up because he has, ambition he wants to sort of continue and sort of push this world of conning is the wrong word for it it's more of like i, I don't know i, I think they, they call them like gags at some point yeah but even this this the like seance stuff the like occult stuff is a little bit beyond that yeah it's like he, he's certainly a con artist in his nature but he's he's doing it in this like magic way like he's performing these saying he's like this i don't even know what you call it sort of bumbling and stumbling here but. yeah so what happens is when he like puts lilith down um he so impresses the person she's with who's this like big powerful yeah. judge in mm-hmm. town and he also cole reads the judge and makes mention to a lost daughter maybe it's lost son, lost son. Mm-hmm. um and the judge is so taken by this that he wants to have this like vision of the occult yeah. with Stanton. And Stanton's like, hell yeah, I can do that because right. he sees an opportunity to make money. Yeah. And if you were to view this more altruistically, I think he does say at points, like I'm helping these people like get over their loss, right. which is maybe true, maybe not true. We should mention this is like late 1930s, early 1940s era. Yes. Just as for context. Yeah. Um. So he goes to Lilith, asks for information about the judge who is a client of Lilith. Yeah. She pro- provides it and he's able to do this fake medium skit mm-hmm. um, and like really impress the judge and his wife mm-hmm. and uh, set them on a, a downward spiral. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's the movie version of that. In the book, uh, it's, it's, it's actually, it's a little bit different. He starts doing those seance seances independently of meeting lilith and he's called the reverend yeah so this is like a jump forward in time like Mm -hmm. two years and then he's all of a sudden this big you know important guy in town um and he becomes so good at it that it actually worries him Mm. and he's like "I'm, i'm actually like really potentially like hurting these people and he goes to lilith the psychiatrist another reason he has a conscience in the book yeah yeah he goes to her and asks for a little bit of help. Um, and uh, she obliges. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And th- that's how they sort of team up. And then they sort of spiral after that. Um, but in the, I remember in the, in the movie, he's got this one weird scene where he's like in the elevator and he's like rehearsing his lines. And he's like, we could, we what team up. Say? We team up and take down the city, or like yes. something to that effect, which is just like so like egomaniacal and megalomaniac. 
right yeah so it's just yeah it's another like difference from the novel i think yeah where so he is slipping further and further into this like ego world right yes and then lilith is more of an active participant in the story because she interjects herself into the plot by you know calling him calling out his stuff on stage yeah and then when he eventually meets her in the movie he admits like yeah it's bullshit this is how i cold read you yeah you know i know you know women like you like to go downtown (laughs) you don't have a man i didn't notice you didn't have a wedding ring yeah yeah, so of course you have a pistol in that clutch i noticed it was heavy yeah um and uh she eventually connects him to the big one ezra grindle the auto tycoon who's played by richard jenkins of yes guillermo del toro movie fame yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah there's also like um i think one of the differences as we talk about like doing these seances uh is in the movie it is a is like very taboo like there are multiple mm-hmm. characters who tell him don't cross this line. Don't do a spook show. Yeah. I know you think you're helping these people, but you're really just giving them false hope and it's going to ruin their lives. And he sort of disregards that yep. um, for, and ultimately like, ca- like he, he causes the judge's wife to murder suicide yeah, into a murder suicide because they want to like meet their lost son again in the afterlife in the afterlife. <laughs> um, so that kind of shows you like the, the impact some of these like bullshit things can, can have. Yeah. Whereas in the book, I think it's it's not as it's not quite as verboten. I think his dad actually mentions like this is what you're doing is bullshit. Yeah. Um, but other than that, there's no one it's not like a you know, it's not a character stepping over a crack into a, a different now I'm confusing myself, <laughs> but like it's not somebody making this like life altering decision that catapults you into act yeah, three. Yeah, yeah. It's more just like, this is what I'm doing now. Right. And I'm making a little bit more money doing this. Right, right, right. And I've created this dope ass house. That's like tricked out with all of these things that help yeah. me like do these readings yep. and have these like spooky sounds and have this like movement of the, uh, blinds and curtains and stuff like that. It's been my ride, but for houses. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of a cool, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else on that? No. So the ending, the ending for them is is sort of where things get a little bit different, right? So like, she introduces um, Santa into these highbrow individuals, like you mentioned, Richard Jenkins' character. Um, I forget his name. Grindle. Grindle's yeah. He is like this auto tycoon, right? He's got shit ton of money, um, and he has this weird past which we don't really know a lot about. In the book, it delves into sort of what happened with there was an abortion. Mm-hmm. right that he forced his girlfriend at the time to get whereas in the movie they sort of tiptoe around these things and they don't really necessarily make it very clear i almost took from the movie that this was like a common thing he was doing like he forced like it was done multiple times yeah but i don't know yeah it's it unclear. was very unclear as to what he had done in the past and was was not really willing to discuss it with santa at least on camera um for us to see but the where it gets different is he saying Carlisle's character has multiple seances with Grindle Grindle. Um, and it gets more and more involved. And then eventually he gets found out because he's sort of, he's so emotional that he grabs Molly mm-hmm. who's playing like this, like seance character, like the ghost of his, of his, uh, former girlfriend or daughter or whatever. Daughter. It is. Um, and 
then eventually he sort of found out and he was on the run. And then it gets a little different from there, right? So you want to go ahead and take that? Yeah, in the in the book. In the book, yeah. Yeah, so he they basically just like run. They basically run for it. Um, Molly, I think, successfully goes back to the original carnival. Stanton has to run away from these like goons mm-hmm. and also cops. He ends up killing a cop, uh, hopping on to the railroad basically and becoming a hobo, living a yeah. hobo existence yep. until he makes it back to like the original carnival. Molly's not there, but she's theoretically alive and okay. Mm-hmm. Um, they, and d- oh, sorry. No, I mean, go ahead. I was going to say, does he, he doesn't kill him in the book, right? Grindle. No, that's right. Okay. Yeah. He just escapes and Grindle makes it his mission to like catch him. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, he Stanton ends up meeting with Xena and Bruno again later in the book. They basically tell him like, you really ruined this girl. Shame on you. Yeah. Get out of here. And he's like, okay. Then he wanders and finds another carnival. Um, and he wants a job as a mentalist and the guy's like, and by this time Stanton is like a booze hound. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the guy's like, I can't give you a job as a mentalist, but we got a temporary job yeah. as a geek. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing, this is sort of off track a little bit, but so in the movie, he's very against drinking, drinking in the book. I did. I don't think that was the case, right? No, that's, that's new. That's a new thing that they added for the movie. I so, think that's more like development wise, you know, like, yeah, he's not a drinker and when he does drink it sort of like changes his character yes, a little correct. bit yeah and sets him sets him off yeah sets him on the deep end basically. yeah but he he drinks with lilith for the first time yeah and it's it's sort of like the worst decision he can make because it's he's actually he says he's like on all the time yeah and when yeah, he yeah. drinks it's like the first time he's actually turned off to this person who he really should be like turned on to <laughs> turned on to and like paying attention to right right because she's, she's gonna fuck him over yeah exactly um but he doesn't of course and then becomes a booze hound and that's what happens becomes a geek yeah yeah the um movie version is slightly different than the book right he um they sort of allied all of these seances he does with grindle he basically just does like he has little meetings with him and grindle's like i just want to see her again yeah he sort of like talks he's like grabs his shoulder or heart or whatever and is like is talking communicating with the person through this whatever yeah through his power yeah but that's it yeah i think it's kind of and i think it's kind of like less lesser in the book by having all these seances he's like in so fucking deep and it's yeah. like okay i gotta i gotta raise the stakes in right. the movie they have fewer conversations and it's just sort of like well what if i bring back like the manifestation of your daughter and she yeah, stands yeah. like 80 feet over there that'll yeah. be enough it was convincing like it was working yeah until uh, he like ran up and grabbed her yeah and was and like you're like, not who are you yeah <laughs> you look very different what the fuck um yeah but basically he they do the same thing yeah grindle grabs onto her stan like goes into you know 2021 marvel mode so he so grindle slaps molly yes and then he punches stanton i think or maybe stan just starts beating the shit out of him Anyways. Yeah. He beats the shit out of him. Kills him. Uh, kills him. And then Grindel's lone bodyguard, because if you're an auto tycoon, you only got one of these. Yeah, of course. You can only afford one. Comes running with a gun. I just like, people in movies can't shoot for shit. It's of like, uh, misfires several times. Um, or Stan, just misses. And just misses. Yeah, yeah. Stan ends up running him over with a car. So both of those people oh, are dead. So That was such a great scene. Oh, God. That head exploded. <laughs> um, they go park 
like ditch the car molly like slaps him across the face runs away in sort of just walks away she just walks away in sort of an act of like agency where she's like finally i'm gonna do what the fuck i want yeah yeah. follow you anymore yeah um he goes to lilith and it's like hey we gotta go like give me the money here's another question for you is that he's been stashing all this money he's made from grindle which is like a small fortune yeah yeah with lilith and I don't think it's ever really explained why he does that in the movie. In the book, it's it's like more clear, but still like, you know, he can't. He well, I guess the movie he says that he doesn't want Molly, Molly to, find, to out. find out. Okay, yeah. So you're right. That's the same thing. Yeah. So he goes to collect the money from Lilith, who's been holding on to like tens of thousands of dollars. And she she's gives replaced him it with just ones, just <laughs> so all ones. Uh, and he realizes she's been conning him. She's been like recording him the whole time. Yeah. She's going to send him to jail. Yeah, or to the crazy house, Looney Ben. Looney Ben. Maybe at jail. Um, sends security to, like, send him. Yep. Um, she shoots him in the ear. Yeah, oh, my God. Uh, from, like, point blank. She Just missed like, him. She go, aim for the fucking heart, you know? <laughs> aim for the chest because there's, look at all that, yeah. like, area. It's a surface area, it's man. A, it's also, like, a small gun. It's not going to really do much. Yeah, it's sort of like the Will Smith gun in Men in Black. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh a little God. small pistol. Shout out um security come he almost chokes her out with a telephone yeah yeah po- uh, with telephone wire yeah uh security comes back in the day yeah security comes he escapes them finds the train and yeah hides hides in a, in a car carrying chickens chickens thematic great <laughs> yeah uh and then he goes to find then he hawks his watch with a bunch of hobos for the for bottle liquor, yeah he finds Another the carnival. new carnival and uh he's given tim a job nelson. tim blake nelson is the new carney director and he gives him a job as a geek yeah a great great sort of wrap up yeah did you like the last scene where he's sort of like laughing crying yeah, that After, was uncomfortable it was uncomfortable but i thought it was good yeah it was good i do like how the book ends the book ends more with like you know it's a temporary job but you can be a geek yeah. and it sort of like cuts off this is like i've got a temporary job you can be a geek and then he laughs and is like, sir, I was born for it. Yeah. Or something like that. And uh, it gives you more It gives you more Stanton, which is probably better for the movie version. Yeah. Because you got Bradley Cooper. He's got he's to gotta have his He's got to act, baby. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the end of the transformation. The man becomes beast. You know, that's the character arc. That you is start by arc. learning what makes a geek. And he's made a geek. And you said this, this ending sort of did it for you, at least in the book version. Yeah, I it liked it a lot. Brought it full circle. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Very good. Um, there was no like, you know, denouement to it. Yeah. It's just like, it, it's like, guess what? You're going to be the geek. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, thank you. What do you mean? What is denouement? What is that? Like a, like a, after the final. Like, like a resolution. Moment, like a, kind of yeah. Like a, oh, like a happy ending. Yeah. Or just like, you know, following action when it. Like, oh, well, well. You know. It just sort of ends. Yeah, this this just sort of ends. Other stories might give you like the what's happening with Xena and the the old carnival now. I just get uncomfortable when you start mentioning French terms oh, on this uh, podcast. So. You and I don't know what's happening. Yeah, um, um, so that's that. But the, yeah, the big thing is that he he ends up becoming the geek, right? Yeah, a geek, is, yeah. a geek is born. So a geek is born. There you go. Um, so why would you say? Uh, why do you think that the book and the movie are so similar? I think because they both recognized the the power of this was the character arc we like as we keep saying like a geek is born like yeah. that is such a good hook that is such a good rise and fall of a character it shows you all these different like 
here's someone who's poor who becomes wealthy who loses it all here's somebody who like doesn't have an addiction has an addiction loses everything right there's such a clear like character arc that allows you to see so many different parts of this society um and so many different aspects of this world that's like that's the thing you hold on to and all else around that can be you know you can fuss with it but um there is a there is a very i think as we just talked about there's a very clear like excuse you there <laughs> as we just talked about there's a very clear like level up with these like three other women in his life yeah he starts as this poor guy he learns with xena and pete how to be a real carny he masters that he sees there's this other woman who can help him become a famous like trickster mm-hmm. he uses her to accomplish that and then he sees there's this other woman who can help him like you know not quite help people but help him like retire yeah help him finish his life's work and he trusts her a little bit too much yeah and she fucks him over because he no longer he no longer can see the trick right he he is a trickster and then he becomes blinded to the trick yeah and that's why at the end of the day you know he becomes a geek right you know he can't see that he is transforming so what you're saying is basically the narrative um sort of rise and fall the narrative arc is just already there it's already good like there's nothing you need to really mess around with yeah um in order to change it yeah right like it's it's right there for you don't fuck it up yeah it's perfect it's like a perfect arc yeah the rise and fall man there you go you know so uh that's what i think and then so would you call this adaptation successful i think so uh i say 100 percent. yes you recognize like the dark depression of the book and um i think that like you talked about earlier there's a black and white version of this i might have preferred that to this like jolly rancher it would have been interesting version um jolly rancher <laughs> i don't know give me the give me the david fincher gray i like tones. the oh i see what you're saying i don't know they, yeah. my letterbox review was like it's it's like a very colorful movie for something that's so dark yeah um but other than that like i, I thought you got all of the you got all the darkness that you wanted to a point right this mm-hmm. is still a hollywood movie starring you know a-list actor so Bradley Cooper. How how dark can you make this, unless it's like an A twenty four, you know, yeah, 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 indie joint, right? This this has to be somewhat commercial, even though it wasn't. Not like Queens Boulevard. So they butchered it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and not quite that. Like that's really Jolly Rancher. This is this is much more like a, um, what are those like little sweets? Sour Patch sweets? Sour Patch Kids sweeties? Oh yeah, the little like uh pill looking things. Yeah. 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 Those are great. I love those. Yeah. That's what this was. Those were like sweeties. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you think this was successful? I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was great. Okay. Uh, and I, I didn't have a. I actually liked the color, but it would be really interesting to see what the black and white one is like. A lot more film noir-y, I would imagine. Yeah, because it sort of is sort of like this noir esque, new age, um, movie. I do wonder what this movie would have been if it was if they were just like, f- like, fuck commercial. Let's literally just make a nasty ass creepy ass mm. just like depressed depraved well that's sort of his wheelhouse of right guillermo yeah but you're still working in hollywood so it's like yeah you know shape of water was probably his least dark movie right yeah i haven't really seen i've not seen pan's labyrinth or i've not seen that's more Hellboy. like mystical you know yeah i don't know it's a it's a thought 
Did you know, we if, like it? If we don't need money, you know, what could you have done artistically? Well, we do need money, so. Um, I did like it. I did like it. I, I, for a two and a half hour movie, I certainly like felt the need for maybe like a little bit more build up to the final like Grindel confrontation, mm-hmm. just in terms of like how the seance works and how like why you're gonna pull this big con sort of thing, but um, I don't know. I, I liked it. I think your letterbox was a three. Yeah. That's a like. <laughs> no, a three and a half. Three and a half. Is it? Okay. Yeah. But I gave it the like, if you see. Oh, I, I the gave it the heart. heart. Yeah. Okay. All right. So. I like how there's so many different ra- <laughs> rating things on this app. Yeah. I pulled up my thing just like oh, I'm yeah. getting ready for it. Let's hear it. Um, So I did like the movie. I gave it a four star. Um, And this, will, this is sort of plays into my hot take coming up next. Let's do it. But um, my hot take is... 2021 was a year of Kate Blanchett. Um, and it ties into my review. It's absolutely absolutely incredible performance from Kate Blanchett this year, bagged both Bradley Cooper and Leonardo DiCaprio. That's as true. The mistress, as the mistress. That's a list. That's a list. That's a list. <laughs> What's yours? Um respect doctor patient confidentiality. You know? Fuck that. Don't just give out, you know, secrets to a powerful judge. What if it's for money? Don't give out secrets to Grindel, you know? What if it's for higher status? This was another thing, though, is, like, in the book, I think she talks... She gives him information about Grindel and is like, this actually can't be traced back to me because you could oh, that's theoretically right. find this. That's and right. in the movie, she says the opposite, where she's like, why did you say that? It's going to yeah. get traced back to me. What kind of like, why did you fucking say that? Then? It kind of makes sense, right, in the movie version because she told she's the only one Who would, that they would, to- right. would have told, right? So, yeah. But, yeah. Another minor difference, but respect the respect the rules. Respect the game. Yeah. Uh, Booker movie. I am. I thought about switching this like mid episode, but I'm gonna stick the movie. Yeah, yeah, same. What I mean, that's what the ratings say. You know. Yeah, I, I mean, them, I gave the movie. <laughs> you gonna switch three it? and a half. Gave the book two and a half. <laughs> there so, you go. That's it. <laughs> you so liked it. A full half, a full star better. Full star better. That's right. Um, and then I am movie as well. So. And then final thoughts, what will we remember most? Mine is that creepy-ass pickled baby thing. And I forget what you called it earlier. Uh, Enoch? Enoch? Yeah. E-N-O-C-H. It's got like this third eye. It's just creepy. Yeah. There's no way that was a real baby. Let's hope not. It was huge, too. It was massive. It's like a, like a baby cow. <laughs> what was yours? Um, the final line of the book. Of course, it's only temporary, just until we get a real geek. Throw him the chicken. (laughs) Throw him the chicken. You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. (laughs) Sorry, my Willem Dafoe needs some work. Yeah, yeah, you'll work on it. Um, Yeah, great lines for him, though. Um, So that's it. Thanks for um, getting this far, if you're still with us. We appreciate it. Um, So that's the last... I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Anyways, (laughs) that's the second to last episode of the season um check out our most recent episode on the power of the dog keep an eye out for the last episode of this season which is going to be on the tragedy of macbeth shout out a24 eric do you have any shout outs uh i think shout out willem dafoe he's having a, a great year as well yeah this movie um spider-man i think he's in a, another movie he was in spider-man no way home yeah that's in the trailer oh i didn't, I didn't watch the trailer well because i no spoilers here well taste <laughs> We've been spoiling the shit out of this movie. Yeah, no, true. he's in the trailer for Spider-Man. Oh, okay. Good for him. 
I'm happy for him. There we go. Uh, you know, the thing is like people spoil that movie within five, like five seconds of it coming yeah, out. Yeah, of course. It's even like the Hollywood reporter like puts it out on their Instagram. Like, wow. Like spoiler, <laughs> spoiler, spoiler. And you're like, can you let people fucking see the movie? Can no. You, can you give it like a weekend? No, because you need the engagement. I know it's, it's, you need the likes. It's really the retweets. It's really like fucked up. <laughs> it's fucked up. You know they like they like got those people to come act in that movie. They like you know of they course were in, like yeah. suitcases. They like zipped yeah, them yeah. up in suitcases. Well, Toby wasn't doing anything. They flew them to fucking Atlanta. Toby was out partying with Leo. Can't get can't bag any women. I saw that. <laughs> Shout out R.I.P. to him. Yeah, I mean I don't, I don't think Toby is like the best guy. So <laughs> he's the best Spider-Man. Maybe not the best person. Wait till our Spider-Man pod. Toby, come on the pod. Clear up this rumor. Uh, I don't know if he does adaptations. I don't know if he he really reads. He did fucking Spider-Man as a comic. That's an adaptation. That's true. We've done comics before. Shut up. Anyway. Put on (laughs) (laughs) Until next time. Until next time. See you later.